0: Listeners, welcome once again to the Thinking Drinkers podcast, where Tom and I pick two delicious drinks each week to give you a riveting, often rather eccentric reason to enjoy them. And as ever, I'm joined by Tom. He sat on a Zoom call opposite me. How you doing, Tom? You looking Uh, very sexy.
1: I'm doing really well. I was thinking riveting and often ridiculous. Ridiculous, uh, oh yeah, might be, might be, might be, because we're <laughs> really picking some spurious reasons to drink. Um, oh, you don't need them if you're listening to this. You want to drink? You just like to have an excuse, don't you, to to share something over a dinner party? And uh, I've been doing exactly that this week, Ben. I've been. What have you been through I've been to a dinner party, yeah, where we did enjoy a drink. And uh, I don't know what you've been drinking this week, but in my dinner party. I took a bottle of cognac oh. for the after-dinner uh, drinks. I fell asleep in the dinner party. It was that riveting. Really? And, uh, <laughs> um, and I fell asleep about 11.30. And so I left the bottle of cognac with my uh, good friend, Liam, unopened. So hopefully what's they that,
0: What's it. The, uh, I've always wondered this because given our line of work, we often take decent bottles of stuff to parties, mainly because it's clogging up our sheds and living rooms and things like that so don't we're not being overly generous we just got to get rid of this stuff and um if it's really good stuff sometimes the one person will have a bit or sometimes as is in your case
1: no one drinks it at all
0: do you take it back you can't take it back can you because it's a gift for them hosting but i mean it's a hell of a gift a bottle of cognac
1: it is I, I think we probably take for, take for granted the fact that we do get sent a lot of stuff I mean I should say I, earlier that day I'd been on a bit of a bike ride and got back to my shed and found a box of samples that had been sent to me and found a sample of Morlac 25 year old which uh, retails for around 800 pounds a bottle I believe I didn't take that to the dinner party no. Um, no, so I, I enjoyed that, would that
0: wasted your mates.
1: it would so they had the 40 pound bottle of, of, of cognac um, so uh, I mean I didn't mind leaving that with him he can enjoy a, a later date um, but what have you been drinking? Anything interesting? What have you? Well, being... I
0: have been drinking something not quite as punchy, not quite as masculine as as Mortlac. Um, I finished off a bottle with my mother-in-law um, uh, of Rankin. Rankin Ran-can-can-can is a really cool peach-based um, aperitif uh, wine from the south of France, from Provence. Now, earlier this year, we went recycled we rounds Provence, and up Mount Mount Ventoux, mm-hmm. uh, Mount Ventoux. Sorry, um, and visited a distillery down at distillery de Provence. Yeah, and uh, they make some lovely stuff, mainly absinthe and things like that. But one of the f- the things I think is really nice that they make is Rancan, Rankenca, which is this peat-flavoured thing. It's a, basically a thinking drinker's archer. It's like archers, but. I'd say
1: more complex than it's. <laughs> I'd say, I'd say a lot more complex. Yes, yeah. yeah. I don't want to flag, flag. off Archers. No, but... no. They might have some money, um, yeah. but also <laughs> I, really. I, I, I think Archers was one of those introductory drinks, wasn't it? Archers and lemonade, Malibu Coke, those sorts of drinks that uh, came came a bit before their time, really, uh, in terms of uh, the RTDs that the youngsters were then introduced to. Yeah. We cut our teeth on things like Archers um and cider white lining um, yeah. um what else two dogs two dogs hooch because breezes i've met well, the bacardi
0: breezer. i got taken out to los angeles and got to interview the bacardi breezer cats that starred in one of their main adverts it was odd mm. um did, got, did they have much to say not really no oh. um there was and they, there was three of them and they took t- took turn they all look the same and they took turns in shifts hmm. it's interesting um so <laughs> well you good can be judge of that
1: i am saying
0: not <laughs> i mean try right try writing the interview up that was that was tricky um, um. and then what else you had met that's good that's another
1: rtd Archer's aqua Was it? Um, was it good? Well, I mean, you, know, it good, ice, you know, it's You know, they good weren't to- really. They, they, As we know, growing up, having to, being introduced to the likes of uh, real ale and things that were quite difficult to drink at the age of 14 or 15, I think those RTDs have done uh, uh, the next generation a disservice, really, and they've had to work a bit harder to become more discerning as they've got older. Yeah. Which is why we're here, isn't it, Yeah. Ben? Um, for and why um, we're here to tell people to drink proper drinks, which is what yeah. we've got for, for everyone this yes. week. We've got two yes, stop bottles. drinking
0: Reef, or whatever it's called, <laughs> and start drinking this. We're going to be drinking, our first drink today is Wild Turkey 101. And why are we drinking that, Tom? Well, because well, you, te- you, te- you do te- know suspense. this. I'm trying to create some suspense. We discussed <gasps> this before we record. It doesn't need it. I know. <laughs> we are drinking uh, Wild Turkey 101 because that was the chosen drink of Evil carnival the mm. amazing daredevil who was born in 1938 and died age 69 in whatever the year that makes that. And his birthday was October the seventeenth. Neville is a hero of mine. I do believe he's a bit of a hero of yours. I did think You so, have a poster yeah. on your wall.
1: I I did indeed. Uh, we were discussing this just the other day, actually, weren't we, Ben? And, and and what was what's interesting is he achieved a lot of his greatness, or as you'll get onto, I'm sure, his failures, uh, failures, uh, before we were even born. Uh, yeah. So he was one of those characters, a bit like Muhammad Ali, who's the poster was on the wall. But when I was three or four, it was put up there probably by my dad rather than me having an innate uh, love of evil can evil. But I grew up. Believing him to be as a child one of the greatest stuntmen of all time. <laughs> well, other, yeah, yeah, because
0: but well, the things it, it coincided with that whole Americana thing. I mean, when we were growing up in the eighties, there's loads of like the Four Guy, Night Rider, uh-huh. A Team. A lot of everything was America was cool. Dallas, Dynasty, it's yeah. so all that kind of stuff going on, and even Knievel in his red, white, and blue. Jumps was very much part of that whole obsession with Americana. And I remember my parents some uh, sneaking into my room. I'm assuming it's then. It could have been five. But one Christmas morning, waking up, and there's an Evil Knievel poster on my wall. And it says, see him jump over uh, 15 London buses at Wembley Stadium. And it had all the ticket prices on the post and everything. But instead of Evil Knievel's name, it's my name. Wow. Like, I was very worried because I didn't want to tell my parents or my or my friends and family that I hadn't actually done that. <laughs> or worse still, that I was having to do it. I was like, I, I was only seven. Terrible. Couldn't even ride a motorbike, couldn't probably couldn't even ride a scooter. Anyway,
1: <laughs> terrifying.
0: But it's been all, it was on my wall. So evil Knievel was a big thing. And I remember having there were people who were at school with evil Knievel lunch boxes, those little toys. Mm-hmm.
1: The, yeah. The little it was massive. It was yeah. a huge thing. And it's so, funny when you go to university you bumped into all these people and there was this shared affection. For Evel Knievel, that we all grew up with him as this iconic cultural figure, yeah. um, who I don't believe many of us would have seen ever do a jump so live no. anyway, and that's the no. big the big selling point of Sky Sports at the moment, isn't it, Ben? You've got to see it live yeah. um, because I imagine there was real tension, not least because um, he, he, he he didn't always he didn't... make it, did he? Well, <laughs> well, well, first
0: of all, let's start his the reason he's called Evil, and it's not E V I L. It's E-V-E-L. Um, he was named by a local police when he was a uh, local policeman called him that because he was a very naughty boy growing up. He used to pull wheel... He got a job in a local copper mine and uh, he got sacked after he did a wheelie in a bulldozer <laughs> and tore down the town's main power line, causing a massive blackout. Before he became a daredevil, he was an insurance salesman. He's really good at it. He set a record for seven, 271 policies in one week. But then he got a because his bosses discovered that nearly all their new clients were patients from a nearby men, near, nearby uh, mental institution and he was and he was sacked and so uh, then uh, then he sort of knocked about in Butte Montana where he was brought up and he, his first time he jumped anything was to uh, publicize a car dealership business owned by his, his mate on a motorbike and uh so his mate managed to get uh, a caged Cougar Loads of park cars and a cage containing two mountain lions, and uh, and then and at the end, a crate full of rattlesnakes. Evil Knievel he cleared the lions and the cougar and the park cars, but he landed in a crate with all the rattlesnakes, uh, rattles. So essentially, he if was... that wasn't an omen,
1: if that wasn't an omen, yeah, no. <laughs> little, well,
0: that set the that set the precedent for the rest of his career because before I looked into him, Tom. That's, this is interesting. Before I looked into it, I just assumed that he was
1: really good. Yeah, but they all grew up thinking he was like this legendary no. stuntman who achieved. But he's he should be. He was just marked in history for stupidity, really. No. I mean, a heroic failure. No, no I mean, evil, but yeah. No, no, failures.
0: well, um, uh, no, he's heroic failure. I mean, he broke. He holds a record for breaking every, um, breaking the most bones in his body. Mm. Um, and and he spent three years in total, a total of three years in hospital due to um, basically not succeeding in what he was intending to do.
1: I mean, what's most uh, what's most astonishing about that that first story was 1965 when he's first trying to jump over mountain lions and rattlesnakes. Mm. But two years later, two years. And I don't know much about – I haven't read in depth his training regime and how he perfected his skills, but he was doing Caesar's Palace Fountain in Las Vegas, which is pretty showy. Yeah. You're going from going from rattlesnakes in a backyard to a huge stunt, 141 feet over Caesar's Palace Hotel in Las Vegas. I mean, that's
0: – Well, mm-hmm. I mean, he, people actually like seeing, seeing him, whether he succeeded or failed. And he got the same money regardless. Mm. That was that he struck deals where he was like, Look, I'll I'll try, but mm. if I fail it, I'm still gonna get the money. And in sixty-eight, uh, yeah, when he did that season, he he misjudged his landing uh, in Vas- in Las Vegas. He fractured his skull, his hip, his pelvis, and his ribs. And he was in a coma for a month uh and then and when he woke up he just carried on doing doing it and i mean the list goes on i mean and you can see a lot of these on youtube and they are massively underwhelming when you watch them the big one this is the one one that we always remember and if you look at it on youtube
1: yeah i mean i always remember but it's 1975. i wasn't even born so i still at least had the uh, the sense of drama and wasn't it dramatic?
0: Well, it was. I mean, not least if you look at the bike he's on. It looks like something a Deliveroo driver would mm. be, drive around. It's it's not very powerful. No. And he, he got paid a million dollars for it, which back then Tom was worth a I mean a hell of a lot. Bit more I
1: mean. bit more than today. Um
0: there's ninety thousand people in Wembley, every I mean, virtually the whole world tuned in. Uh, and he if you watch it, it's pretty bad. He lands it and smashes it and again breaks his pelvis. And he and Eddie said anyone can
1: jump a motorcycle. The trouble begins when you try to land it. One of the things he just sort of famously said after that was that I came in walking. I went out walking because he was he refused to be stretchered out of Wembley. He actually yeah. walked out with a broken pelvis and broken hand, uh, the shambles of a man who was about to. Uh, really, not do it ever again. But he still walked out. I mean, that yeah, is. He did walk commitment.
0: to a hospital where
1: he yeah, lay down he for tri- a long time, <laughs> treated, treated <laughs> for extensive injuries, because of course he didn't make it over that that final. That I, think final pass. Favorite, I think my favourite. I think
0: my favourite story though is when he uh, he he's recovered for this, and and having said he'd never ever jump again, he he went to Ohio and said he's going to leap over a shark-filled tank um in Chicago um in front of us and they had a global audience of millions ready. But during a practice jump, he um he, he drove into a cameraman and nearly blinded him and the whole thing had to be cancelled. Mm. Um but he numbed he numbed his pain uh with wild turkey. Mm. And he took a little shot of wild turkey prior to every jump. Um and he kept it in he had this hollowed out walking cane I imagine which he needed because he was he could barely walk. Um and he kept the, the wild turkey in his hollowed-out walking cane, and he mixed it with beer and tomato juice to create uh, his favourite drink, which I think he created himself, called a Montana Mary. He's from Montana. So that's beer, wild turkey, and tomato juice, which sounds more dangerous than jams, yeah. I suppose. Not, um, pal-
1: not particularly palatable, that one, is it, I have to say? No, uh, no. The wild turkey bit's good, and the beer bit's good, and even the tomato bit's good, but maybe... Not, Not together. together, no, no. no. Uh, I love Wild Turkey, so he had good tastes in his American whiskey. It is one of the the great American whiskey. So if anyone's going to celebrate the life and adventures of Evil Canevil this weekend, then I'd say the Wild Turkey is a good, good glass of whiskey to raise in his honour. Yeah,
0: um, I mean, he wasn't there. There's other drinkers who loved Wild Turkey, uh, Humphrey Thompson. Yeah. And uh, Matthew McConaughey,
1: mm. who
0: has kind of got involved with Wild Turkey <coughs> and became their kind of the face of Wild Turkey. And he, funnily enough, gave, uh, he delivered the eulogy at Knievel's uh, funeral, said, Evil's forever in flight now. He doesn't have to come back down, he doesn't have to land.
1: Which. <sighs> Probably
0: no bad thing. Let's be
1: no, honest. It no. wasn't this strong, so no. anyway.
0: And um, yeah. also, he uh, even can even best buddies with Engelbert Humberdink.
1: So there yeah. you go. Just a little aside. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but we've <laughs> got we've got Wild Turkey and the Wild Turkey Distillery. I'm lucky enough to have been over there in uh, good old Kentucky, America. Uh, that's my American accent. <laughs> Very good. Son. Yeah. And uh, uh, and it is one of the great uh, American whiskey distilleries. Like a, a lot of the the long standing uh, distilleries from from that part of the world, they they can trace their roots back to the eighteen hundreds when a lot of Europeans travelled over to America and started finding various crops, particularly uh, uh, in the North East Coast lands, the rye grains, which they turn into rye whiskey. And then as they moved down to the Kentucky state, they found corn, so they started making bourbon. So, well, Turkey is a famous uh american bourbon
0: it started it was um it began in uh, the 1850s two irish fellas james and john rippy r i p y would you say rippy Ripey? rippy Hmm, rippy yeah rippy and the reason it's called wild turkey is because in 19 fast forward a century or so uh 1940 a distillery uh executive called thomas McCarthy um used to take um some whiskey along for wild turkey hunts on uh, in South Carolina, and all his mates uh, liked the whiskey, and they'd ask him for that some of that more some of that wild turkey bourbon, and then so that became it became a brand in in 1942.
1: Mm. We uh, have two different variants. Ben's mm. drinking the 101, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I have the. Eighty-one. Uh, the difference being, the number refers to the amount of alcohol in them. So in America, hundred percent proof is very easy to understand. The terminology proof because you just split it in half. Yeah. Uh, in English, actually, it's a bit more complicated because we decided to use some fancy measuring device, and uh, and it actually refers to it. It calculates as fifty-seven percent which is a bit irritating. I prefer the American because um it's easier maths. It is. But the 101 is a 50% and a fairly traditional strength for the The 81 is a is a 40 plus 40 point five percent. So two ways into the world turkey whiskey. Ben what do you think of the 101?
0: Well it's a blend of six, seven and eight year old Burmans and it's a bit like a bit like evil Evil, it's bold um it's pretty much it's full-on um and it's got some i mean there's a, it's a nice bit of spice in there as well it's got a lovely um punch of rye in there as well but yeah it's very spicy but it's got the smoothness it's got that lovely sweet sort of vanilla fudge that you mm. get from that interaction between the oak and, and the spirit um it's lovely it's very well balanced it is a classic bourbon um yeah. It's. I mean, there's lots of there's lots of uh, bourbons out there that have got that rye kick that just become just a little bit too much. But this is very well balanced. You've got that kick, but then it's it's rounded off by
1: the sweetness. So, um, it's 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 a really good one. I mm. like it. I like it a lot. I think that fifty is- percent is quite punchy. So that's the beauty of the eighty one. Um, because if you're new to American whiskey, you can go in at, at the lower alcohol volume and it's a bit it's a bit softer. So you've got some of that the rye mm. is still there, but it's um it's more of the cinnamons and the sort of uh, nuttiness. And the sweetness from that vanilla it's just a bit easier to handle if you get into wild turkey though the the the, the legends behind it jimmy russell and his son eddie russell uh who really are held up as some of, the, some of the greats in the history of bourbon distillation uh you can start exploring some of their other stuff their small batch stuff um and eddie russell has created this master's keep series which is um looking taking sort of more unique barrels uh things like 17 year olds out of the the warehouses. Um, the Decades is another little small batch project they have, Revival. Um, so, if you start looking into the World Turkey small batch stuff, I mean, they've got 29 warehouses and 700,000 barrels in those warehouses at World Turkey. So, it is a vast production facility. Um, uh, but because of that, they can take barrels from all over the place and really identify some unique and interesting stuff. So it's a great distillery um, and one that we're quite familiar with, but also has that more contemporary history, doesn't it, Ben, with people like Can Evil.
0: Yes. I mean, we had the um, Long Branch quite recently, and I thought that was really nice gear. Is that the one that
1: McConaughey is, he's the one, he's the sort of yes. creative director of? Was that a Long yes, Branch? Yes, him and thing? Eddie
0: Eddie Russell, the master distiller, mm. um, got together. And um, and I think because McConaughey is from Texas stock, I believe, yeah. Because mm. uh, he's thinking running he's for- He's a
1: proud for, Texan.
0: He uh, is, I think. yee he, he was contemplating running for governor, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, uh, look, they've, they aged it in um, Kentucky white oak and Texan uh, wood as well. Mesquite, mesquite, mm,
1: mesquite. Yeah. Mesquite.
0: Uh, so that's, that is worth checking out as well. And that's, that's, I mean, that's quite a reasonable. It's about thirty thirty five forty 35, 40 quid. So, wild turkey is, they've got a lot of good variants and they do a straight rye as well, if you like a bit more pepper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yes. It could go all over good. the. Tree,
1: yeah. I should say that the person who took me to the wild turkey distillery is a, a chap called Nadal, who was at the time working for Woodford Reserve. And I was there with Woodford Reserve and visiting their distillery. And he said, Do you want to go and see another distillery? And he took me over to Wild Turkey. And I, I couldn't believe it. It's like, well, you guys have paid for me to come and see Woodford. But he pointed out that in in that old Kentucky way, they're really happy to invite everyone into their own houses and uh, and let you taste all the different drinks out there. So it's a really nice vibe. I, I'm a big fan of Kentucky um, and America. <laughs> uh, I love you. Well, I, I loved you. Going for a bit of a tricky patch at a moment. <laughs> Like all
0: relationships. There's up and down storms. Well,
1: it's funny that you should mention the fact that we grew up in this these households of Americana because uh, our second drink today, Seamless Links, Seamless all over Link. the podcast, uh, is going to be uh, recognizing the 14th of October and the premiere of the TV show Kung Fu. Hang <laughs> on, yeah. can you say that? Oh yeah,
0: yeah and Miss Piggy yeah. said it in the Muppets. You can say it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's
1: if, a, if a talking pig can say it, then I mean, <laughs> who are we to argue? Uh, yeah, that takes back to 1972. That's when it first appeared on American TV screens. And that is another example of a TV cultural e- explosion uh, that that really affected us right into the 80s because it stopped in 1975. But I remember watching it as a kid, so it really, it really existed long after it had actually finished. And um, it was, for those who don't know, uh, about uh, martial arts, really, kung fu, yeah. <laughs> hence the name. Uh, it was a, a martial arts action drama, uh, full of ancient Taoist philosophy, um, and inspired or helped inspire this this boom in Oriental martial arts, which was particularly prevalent over there in America, uh, people, people like Bruce Lee, of course. Uh, there karate was a, Kid, Karate Kid. Later, <laughs> that was later. But these, they are the Kung Bandos. Fu Panda. They all came yeah. a bit later. <laughs> but they, but but David Carradine, the, the main character, the actor who play, played a Kui Chang Kane in the in the TV series Kung Fu, is, is one of those characters that is said to have inspired this. Looking towards the east. Practicing martial arts, um, and he was a Shaolin master, and he went on this odyssey through the American search of his long lost half brother, uh, and yeah, it was full of lots of uh, these sort of Taoist maxims that we might have repeated in the playground at, at a young age.
0: Well, I remember a kid in my playground who used to—I mean, it's different time done, but he would put on an Oriental accent and just go around and hit people.
1: Mm.
0: um which was a, a less popular
1: Legacy of this whole thing But mm-hmm. uh, at, the, at the time this was out it was actually quite a, a cocktail of staggering cultural value uh, because it kind of mixed up a lot of the questioning of 70s America there was a lot of racial tension at the time of course um and in fact his casting was a bit controversial because he wasn't he was he was playing a Chinese part Chinese character and he clearly isn't He's um not nice. But they did bring a lot of, of of different social issues into the show, so it was actually a bit more nuanced than just your mate tying a tie around his head and trying to it keep the shi- kids in the playground. I hated <laughs> him because <laughs> he kept <laughs> hitting me. He was hard, and my mate, <laughs> you cowered in the corner with your yeah. box. He was a lot Very older. Bookish. Yeah, okay. Remember uh... his name? Bellend. Bellend. If Bellend. you're out there, what a... you've done a lot of damage. Yeah, but it was it was an interesting show that we just tend to think of as a kung fu thing. But they did actually do the kung fu in there as well. David Chow, who's the martial arts director of the show, uh, he explained that the ABC, the network that ran it, uh, absolutely bans any more than three hits on a person, all kicks below the belt, more than two areas of bleeding on a single person and any pouring of blood. but dripping with blood was okay. So they actually really did do. The kung fu fighting and Karadine. He was a dancer before he started, but he trained hard in kung fu. Wow. And then um, they actually did it. So he became. He didn't. He didn't need a stuntman. Uh, so so if you watch it back now, they're really kicking the crap out. Of um, and it introduced us to some stars. Jodie Foster was on it. Um, Harrison Ford. Boy, kid Harrison Ford. My favourite fact about Harrison Ford. Well, I thought it's nearly, nearly, nearly linked to the drink that we're going to talk about. Well, it? yeah, well,
0: well, I'll lead you in there gently, yeah. Tom. Why don't you? Harrison Ford is the only Hollywood star to have an ant named after him. Mm-hmm. Not an, not an individual ant, a a type of ant. Yeah, yeah. there's it's... a type of ant out there called Harrison Ford, named after the eponymous star Ray's Lost Ark. Etc., and uh, but it's because he does so much good work for um, the environment the, and the insects. Uh, e- ecological uh, yeah, ecological stuff. So hmm. the ants like they love him, the ants, uh, wow. and there's and there's an ant named after him. So well, um, there you go, because tell that, that to is... your mates
1: down the pub. <laughs> I think everyone will, and they'll be pleased to learn that uh, Carradine's character Kane is schooled by an old blind master or master pole who refers to his apprentice as grasshopper oh Mm,
0: yeah be careful here tom you're 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 verging into accents accents. which we know are unacceptable which i don't know i don't know these days what you can. know but that was how he said he he called him grasshopper yeah
1: uh, which is like an ant so that makes this a seamless yeah it's (laughs) fine so this fine. If you up until are, until now, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this week, if so, let's get on to the drink. Because if you are planning to have a kung fu party or a pajama party wearing kung fu clothes, yeah. we are suggesting you serve up a classic minty cocktail of the same name, the Grasshopper. Yes. Yeah. Which uh, hasn't been drunk it. since probably well, the 80s. Certainly the 50s, Ben. It was a really, really popular drink in the 50s, but much like sherry with ladies of a certain age. And it wasn't very cool. But actually, the cocktail dates back to the turn of the 20th century. So there are there are suggestions these, that drinks similar to this were being made as early as the early 1900s. The credit to its creation, though, tends to be mostly attributed to a New Orleans bar in the early 1920s, um, and it's called Two Jags. Uh, it's actually one of the oldest restaurants. John oh, ja- oh. I've got Two Jags, mate. Uh, well, that's
0: what John Prescott was called, wasn't it? Two Jags.
1: Was he Two Jags? Because he and had Two Jags.
0: He had Two Jags, and then when he punched that bloke,
1: <laughs> he was called Two Jabs. Oh, yeah. very so, good. Yeah. Well, I, I'm pronouncing it Two Jags. Maybe he was uh, doing Kung Fu. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> it's all just it's all it's all well coming, coming together. together. Uh two Jags is a is a very old uh, restaurant in New Orleans and um and it it's actually moved I was lucky enough to go to New Orleans a few years ago and it was um uh, this kind of unassuming little place that's well quite a big bar, but uh, it, it claims that it, it created the grasshopper drink there. Uh, and they've subsequently moved, which is I always think is a bit of a shame because it's not exactly the second oldest restaurant in New Orleans if it's no. gone to a new site. It's like Trigger's um, Broom, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a sh- so it's a bit of a shame. But they've moved to uh, the place that was previously the restaurant Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. So uh, if you know New Orleans, <laughs> <laughs> that's where it is now. Uh, I think it's a shame that Bubba Gump Shrimp Company had to go to house them. But they did create the grasshopper and it was invented by a, a chap called Philippe Guichet in a cocktail competition during Prohibition. Naughty. Um, ah, yeah. But uh, And he won second prize for the drink. So it wasn't the best drink in that <laughs> particular competition. But as, as I say, with a lot of cocktail history, we don't know that for sure. There's a lot of cocktail conjecture uh, when you get into the History of cocktails. Ben, it's sensitive. You can to get be. bogged down you in uh, <laughs> have a hell of a lot of boring conversation. You can. And we're not going to do that here. But if you do want to make yourself A cocktail of this nature. This weekend, the grasshopper is 25 millilitres of creme de menthe.
0: Creme de menthe.
1: Creme de menthe. It's a mint liqueur, essentially, isn't it? It is, yeah. Giffard make a nice one. uh, Created in the Loire Valley, where I was holidaying this summer. with My family, I know. Uh, In 1885, Emile Giffard uh, was playing around with mint and because it was helpful with digestion mm-hmm. as well as improving the smell of your breath. And you started... Which being beans. French, onions, garlic, berries. Very, very... <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying about my grasshopper pronunciation earlier, Ben? Let's steer clear of, of that as well. So you'll find the creme de month in the stinger as well, which we talked about last week. So it's creme de menthe. Um, Not for everyone, but works brilliantly in this drink. You also need 25 ml of creme de cacao, another Giffard creation, and you'll find those anywhere, so get those two, And then 25 ml of single cream. Uh, Now, you can use ice cream, if you like, to make this more of a party drink, and actually (laughs) some bars in America do, and if you're having a pyjama party... um, then, yeah, why not? Why not have some ice cream? Uh, and he can blend it all up. Yeah, I mean, you can have mint chopped chip ice cream. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could really mix up the ice creams. Uh, you shake that all in, on a, in, a, in a cocktail shaker with ice and then strain it. Uh, I like glots. the sound of it. It's good. It's different. Yeah. I, th- I, I Honestly, it's not a bad drink. I think it got, it became, it's a, it's a, gu- it's a guilty, it's a guilty, it's a dessert drink. It's a guilty pleasure. Uh, and it lost its way in the 50s. But actually when they first created it in the, Early 1900s, it was a drink that was enjoyed. It was, wasn't was kind of seen in, in a bad light as it is today. Um, and I think, why not? Uh, why I not? think I, what, you, what you
0: could do is you can make one, have one and then ask your partner to make one as well. When they make one, you taste it and you go, oh, I think the grasshopper need to leave the temple. <laughs>
1: That's something you could do. You could do that. You could also, it it, it did inspire a joke, didn't it? The grasshopper walks into a bar. The bartender says, hey, we have a drink named after you. And the surprised grasshopper says, you have a drink named Sean. (laughs) Or Colin or whatever. Yeah. John, uh, just not grasshopper. No. Great joke. Great joke. I've got an ant
0: joke that uh, my son, older son, Remy, told
1: me this morning. Mm? What's the largest ant in the world? Oh, uh, it's more of a riddle, this, than a joke, isn't it? Yeah. I know the answer. Can I get it? it? Can I get it? Is it a... Uh, uh, no. Go I'm on.
0: giving you a clue here.
1: Oh, it's a very good clue. It's an elephant. And... Elf. Uh, so on, but...
0: on that uh, highlight...
1: Yeah, it's... two drinks. Two drinks there. Wild turkey, something s- sort of sipped, neat, uh, quite punchy and then yeah. a fun party cocktail drink in the grasshopper animal I think themed, well, animal yeah. themed and Turkey americana and- um, americana themed animal themed uh retro drinks yeah. i think we've we've this was a brilliant pod and yeah all, all to enjoy this weekend so enjoy those this weekend and we will be back next week with two new drinks for you to enjoy
0: yes and in the meantime do check out um a little bit of plug for stuff we're doing we've got we've added more dates to the tour we which, heard. uh, on our website, thinkingdrinkers.com, we're going up to see the White Peak Distillery next week, aren't we, Tom?
1: We are. If you subscribe to our podcast, which ho- uh, to our newsletter, which hopefully you do, we've got a special treat this week because we're going to invite people who are not part of our subscriber members club to join us on that taste. Um, you won't be enjoying the drinks with us, only the subscribers will. You can actually tap into the Zoom virtual cast so you can see us talk about the distillery with the peak sky in the Peak District. So it's going to be that I'm very excited about. And So we're staying
0: a night there, and then we're going to Selby Mm
1: -hmm. on the Friday. And where are we on the Saturday? Barnsley, Barley, and Barnsley have sold extraordinarily well. So, thank you to anyone who's already coming to see us in Yorkshire. If you're not, why not? Uh, those yeah. people are. So, you come on, come. Barnsley. And we're very excited. Our pub quiz show.
0: Nice one. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Don't kung fu anyone. Follow our message, our motto, our mantra. Drink
1: less, but drink better. better.
0: Love you. Bye. Love you.
1: Cheers.